Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. Good morning, everyone. It's Shannon. I hope that all of you came through this winter storm without mishap. Um, if you were in you know, parts of the country that were affected, hopefully you had heat and power and were not inconvenienced too terribly much. Anyway, I'm here with a Tuesday morning episode, the last Tuesday episode of the year, in fact. And I have an interview today with author Elisa Friedland, and we are discussing her novel, The Most Likely Club. Next week, we will, of course, have another author interview, and then I will talk to you about new releases because January starts a spectacular array of new books, and I am super excited to tell you about them next week. But for now, let's move into the housekeeping information, and then we will dive right into the interview. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Alyssa Friedland. We are talking about her novel, The Most Likely Club. And this was released here in the U.S. on September 6th. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Can we start with a brief introduction to the Most Likely Club so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what they can expect going into it? Absolutely. So the Most Likely Club is a story about four women who were best friends in high school they graduated in 1997, and they have stayed in touch uh, for the past 25 years. And now it is time for their high school reunion. And one of the four women takes on the role of reunion chair and really tries to rally the other women to go. Three of the four women make their way back to campus. And of course, it's you know very angsty and emotional and nostalgic for these women, and they, take some time for reflection together and apart and realized, you know, it hits them very hard how differently their lives turned out from the way they expected. And I have used the high school superlative as a device to really um, 
hit that point. And so when they look back at what they were named most likely to be in the yearbook and think about where they are now, it's really in stark contrast. And so these friends decide to try to make their high school superlatives come true at this point in their lives. I love this. I graduated in 98. So my um, 25 year reunion, you know, is, is approaching. Yes. Um, I'm 99. Ah, okay. So yours is coming too then. Yep. (laughs) For sure. It certainly is. And it's on my mind. Uh, See, I was never um, a big like participant in a lot of the like school activities. So obviously like for me, um, reunions have not been a thing that I've been a part of, but I always, you know, think about it like in those kind of key years when I know they're happening and I'm always just kind of like, nope, not for me. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, mine would still be a ways away, but I don't live very far. I live in New York city and I went to high school in New Jersey. So I don't, unless I have a, another serious obligation, like I don't have much of an excuse not to go but I certainly don't think I could commit to a whole weekend. Ah, you could just like go in for the day. Yeah, like a, a meal, a drink. Yeah, okay. And then get out if I'm uncomfortable. That, that, that's fair. I, I could be a fan of that. <laughs> so what sort of prompted you to write this? Like, was this something that you kind of thought of like in regards to like your, your own high school experience and your own thoughts about reunions or what sort of inspired this for you? I mean, you know, for sure, this is my age now, and I also have children who my son just entered high school, and I, it has caused me, you know, when I hear him and my daughter who's just, who's in middle school talking about what they want from life and what they think is possible, and it's, obviously, it's wonderful, you know, to see them full of all this optimism, and that's the optimism they should have at this age, Uh, but then also I see their struggles, and I see the things that make them upset, which is, you know, doing poorly on a test that they studied for really, really hard and taking it so hard or having a social problem and and being upset that someone, you know, didn't sit with them at lunch. And I am, you know, about, you know, almost 25 years out of high school and I'm sitting there thinking like, I wish they knew that that one test isn't going to make a difference or that kid who is so popular that everyone flocks around, you know, eventually people tire of the mean girl or the bully. And I, of course, I tell them what I know, but I also, you know, there's, there's a limit to how much, you know, they're going to internalize what I say, believe me, think that I get it. There's a lot of like, you don't get it. And they're to some extent, things are different now because of social media and the way that kids interact. It is different than the way I interacted. But what I find so interesting is that, you know, the the modes of communication and the pace of communication are different, but the themes are exactly the same. That's what I was, I was going to ask you. Like, do you think that their experiences are, you know, more similar to or more different from the experiences like that you and I had, you know, going to high school in the 90s. To me, it's like exactly the same. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm not privy to like, I don't read their social media posts. I mean, the the things that are private, like the Snapchats, which I can't see, you know, and the TikToks, I don't know. So I'm not like 100% familiar with all of their communication, but the parts that I can glean from when I overhear them talking to friends on the phone or if they come to me with a problem, 
it's like I am hit with such a strong sense of deja vu when that happens. It's like, oh my God, I'm back at the lunch table or I had that exact same thing happen to me at a party. Like it's all, it's so similar. And my, you know, I don't have a million memories from like third grade and fourth grade because I just, first of all, I don't have a great memory to begin with, but like, I of course have more memories from high school than I do of elementary yes. school. And so having children going through things that I remember more clearly, it's really like, it's like startling, it's eerie, it's just a weird thing. And so I felt like there's really a book here. I mean, I've, I've said it before in other interviews, like it's really a multi-generational thing and inspiration because my mom told me growing up about a kid who was really, really popular in her high school who, you know, paid her no attention, actually, you know, sort of used her for some answers on a test and treated her poorly. And then fast forward, you know, five or six years out of high school and my mom and my father, they got married young and they bought a house and that same mean kid showed up and, you know, was there to wash my parents' windows. <laughs> so, and that's a true story and it's amazing. And of course there's, you know, there's no shame in being a window washer. It's just that it's never the position my mom expected to have this guy like working for her on a ladder, you know, cleaning the schmutz off of her glass. And probably the guy, if you would have asked him, you know, that wouldn't have been like what he pictured himself doing. No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know what his career aspirations were, but that's like not a common one. Right. Most people, you know, and again, not that there's anything that is wrong with doing that kind of work. But if you ask people kind of what they, you know, what they want to do, I don't know that I've heard anyone say, you know, that they want to, you know, wash windows. Exactly. Um, but, you know, obviously it's good to have a job. And even if it's not the job that you envision for yourself, you know, that, so that's still better than it, than it could be. But I, I just, that story really stuck with me and all of these things coalesced and I, I felt like there was a novel here. And now it is in the world. Exactly. So what is your kind of journey to becoming a published author? Like, did you always know that you wanted to write or did that kind of happen for you like later on? What did that look like? I really loved writing from the time I could write, you know, read and write. I think that I was writing stories probably when I was five, you know, on loose computer paper around the house and illustrating them, stapling them together. And I was so proud of my book. And then I always loved my English classes really like always, I think had a facility with words, a passion for words. I was a tremendous reader as a child, like really always had my Yay. nose in a book. And I credit so much of my success and my education and where I've gone in life to the fact that I was an early reader and that I was passionate about reading and something I like scream at my kids about all the time. So I was always interested in writing. I In college, I did a tremendous amount of writing and worked on the school newspaper. Uh, but then, you know, didn't really know how to pursue that after college. That was tricky for me. I wanted to be a writer. I don't know that I had any ideas for novels. I certainly felt really young and maybe that I hadn't lived enough to write a novel, but I, I might have taken a job at a newspaper or a magazine, but I I don't know. I, I didn't see that career path like 
super clearly. I didn't really know how to get a job like that. And I didn't really see papers and magazines recruiting at my school. And I felt mm -hmm. really uncertain. I, I just didn't know what to do with myself. And my parents suggested applying to law school and I did. And I, so I ended up um, spending three years in law school, which I did enjoy because I love academia and I love being in a learning environment. The problem is that I really did not enjoy being a lawyer. So I didn't last very long. I worked as a corporate attorney for three years and I just could tell that I was like, I had no passion for it. And it was really hard to just motivate every day to work fairly long hours and to apply myself to something that just didn't feel exciting to me. And so I really just took a leap and I quit and I decided to try to write a book. And this is probably like, 2011 and my first book came out in 2015 so it took some time like i was not at first book like now i write much more quickly with much more direction it was really hard to write that first book because i didn't have an agent i didn't have a publisher and so i'm writing thinking like this may go absolutely nowhere like there's a very real possibility that not, this will never leave my computer screen which is hard it's hard to like make yourself sit down every day if you have no idea if it'll ever come right. out. You don't know if you're working towards something that will like manifest. Exactly. So I felt, you know, unsure and it definitely took me longer and I was raising little kids at the time, but I did, you know, succeed. Finally, I got an agent, I got a publisher and my book came out in 2015. And then from there, it's been okay. I've, I've published four more since then and I'm continuing to publish. So I, and I'm, it's not like the easiest job in the world, but I'm significantly happier than when I was a lawyer. Are there things that you have learned along the way that you carry with you from book to book or does your process kind of change and become that like blank slate again as you move into a new novel? No, I definitely have learned like as I go along, I, I realize the things that are really hard for me and so I am more mindful of like not screwing up. Like I get very confused with timeline oh. and when things are happening. And sometimes I, I also would notice like when I was really starting out, like I would write entire scenes, but then I would never anchor the people. So like you had no idea where they were, oh. what time of day it was like. And, and so now I just like, where are these people? You know, I anchor them and I then use the, and I also learned like use the details not every single detail, but a lot of the details should be purposeful. So if I want to show that it's like, you know, it's morning at Starbucks, like there's something to be said about like the interaction that my character has with the barista or what they order or do they use a gift card? Like there's so, you know, oh, yes. like those details can all be really, they can not only like anchor the scene, but they're also like really good at character building. And so I'm also a writing teacher, which I started a few years ago. And that's definitely something that I like to hammer home to my students. I read a whole novel once. And once I finished, I realized that I had no idea like when it was supposed to be taking place. Right. Like, I mean, that is been, not ideal. Yes. <laughs> right. It could have been anywhere from like just after the Second World War to, you know, like the late 1990s. And right. I kept like looking back, you know, trying to find like, is there anything that like gives me a clue? Like, did I miss something? 
And even now, probably 10 years after I read it, I still think about that sometimes. Like, when did this take place? Like, how, how will I ever know? We got to get an author. <laughs> In a nice way. Yes. But it was just something, you know, very stark that I, I noticed when I was reading it that there were no context clues that sort That's of indicated. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just looking at a book that I was reading with my students and I I noticed like the way she references 9-11 and it was a really great way to like tell us what year it is without telling us what year it is, you know? And ah. so I love that, you know, because there are a sentence like it is 2001, you know, or like right. they like a month after the towers fell, like that's more significant you know, and it's more artful. Right. And it indicates, you know, in a very clear way when this was without actually having to say, you know, on October 13th, 2001, mm -hmm. I, you know, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So is there a part of writing a novel that is challenging for you like each and every time? I mean, there's just the nausea. You know, like the, <laughs> not the just constant, bad. The constant feeling of like, oh my god, like how am I going to do this? Like just the first fifty pages, like it's so. There's just so much more to do, you know. And I'm like, just that middle part. I'm like, now what? Like I'm not close to wrapping it up. I'm past the introductions of the characters. Like, how do I fill up all this middle? And I still feel sick over it. Just like so I try to just know, like, I move the plot forward, move the plot forward, but you know, it's hard. Do you generally have an idea? Like when you're writing something, do you kind of know where you want it to go? Like eventually, or does it evolve for you as you're sitting down and writing? I mean, probably like thematically I'll know, like I might, you know, I wrote a book about a family taking a cruise together and it was a multiple. Yes. I like that book. Thank you. And I guess I, I didn't know exactly the ending, but I knew that I wanted that. I knew I wanted them to dread the cruise and that by the end they were happy they went. So that's okay. like an abstract way of answering, I guess. But, mm -hmm. you know, I would say that's, that's about what I know when I start. And do you find that your ideas about like who the characters are and things that they, you know, will, will experience or grow, you know, grow through, like, do those things change for you from your kind of initial vision to what your published copy ends up looking like? I mean, there's just so many changes. I mean, I'll usually try to get through the whole thing. I mean, I have a process of like, write a certain number of pages and then go back and then write a certain number of pages and then go back to the beginning and make changes. And then when I read the whole thing through, I sometimes think like I notice huge holes or really oh. like sort of side, like tangents I went on that, that either I have to tie it into the book or I just have to lose them all together. But I think as I keep writing more and more books, I'm making fewer mistakes in the beginning. Which is nice. Do you have a do you have a favorite part of the process? Um, hmm. I mean, there's some really like fun highlights that happen along the way. Like it's really fun when you start to get the covers, that the suggested covers. Like I love that. You know, it feels so real in terms of the actual writing. Um, 
I really hate getting like my editor's notes back because I feel oh. so nervous. I mean, she's a great editor, but I just get like a pit in my stomach when I get them back. But then when I read through them, digest them and make a plan, like I know how I'm going to do this, then I feel like very empowered because I know that I have figured out how I'm going to address her concerns. I have a plan. I'm like, I, I know what to do. And I can then not only make the changes she wants, but I know it's getting better. Like I, as unlike when I'm writing it the first time where I'm like, is it good? Is it not good? Like when I'm incorporating her comments, I know that I am making changes that are really helping the book. Speaking of covers, how much input do you have on like what the final cover will be? So I definitely have a lot of input. I mean, I think technically, according to my contract, I have like consultation, but if they wanted something that I didn't want, like, and it really came down to it, I think legally, like it's them, like they choose, you know, but Practically speaking, of course, they want to have like a collegial relationship with me. And this latest book, The Most Likely Club, had the most covers like presented to me than I'd ever had. I mean, it was oh. one cover in the beginning and I didn't like it and neither did my agent. And then when they went back to the, you know, literal drawing board, like they right. they sent me back a lot of different ones. Like I thought I'd get back like two or three other options. In fact, I probably got like six or seven other options. And then really it was something like almost closer to 18 options. Cause let's say there Whoa. were six concepts for the cover, but then each one in like three different colorways, you know? So it was, it was good. It was very, they, I really appreciated that. And do you also have like different covers um, for like, if the book comes out in different countries? Well, this is not coming out in any other countries, sadly. So I'm, I'm sad about that, but um, ah, okay. point, maybe it's still well, you know, I don't know, but um, that would be great. But I, um, at this point, yeah, I have a different cover for like, there's a large print edition and that has a, that's done by a different publisher and that's a totally different cover. Okay. And then does your audio also have a different cover than your, your print? Audio is the same. Okay. So I would, I would absolutely love to, um, to have my books come out in other countries. So I'm hoping. Yes. It still happen. And I always kind of wonder how that happens for people like, you know, because it seems like there are so many books that do, but then equally as many that don't. And so I've never been kind of sure how that, how that plays out for people. Well, it's also, you know, I sold the world rights to my publisher. So it's their, it's for them to sell. Some people retain the world rights. And then I think their agent goes out and tries to oh. sell. So... I hope I I'm sure my publisher is trying. We'll see. see. I just I just read all these books and like talk to people who write them. But as far as like the actual process of like publishing and what that looks like, you know, all the different ways in which it happens, like I I know nothing. I mean, I still feel like I know nothing. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> learning. It's a kind of an opaque industry. <laughs> well, it seems to change, you know, pretty often depending on just, you know, what's going on in, in the world at large and like what, what trends are existing and, you know, falling in and out of favor. So maybe you can't just ever really know like how it, how it works. Well, I certainly can never know. Well, that, that's okay. Wish, but I can't. <laughs> that's okay. So were you involved in like the audio 
um, production of the book? Like, did you get to choose your narrators or anything like that? I did. I was given four voices to start with and listen to them. And if I didn't like any of them, I would have been given more. I really fell in love with Kristen C. I like her a lot. She did the most amazing job. I haven't listened to the whole book because like, I just haven't, but I haven't had the time, but I, I can't get over like how much, um, I'm impressed with her, her voice. It's just absolutely perfect. She was perfect for this. And I'm so, so happy that she narrated the book. She just has the perfect voice for all of the characters. I'm thrilled. I think choosing the right narrator is is so important as someone who does the majority of my reading through audio. I, I feel like you can choose either the absolutely you know right narrator or like the one that will just you know plummet the whole thing like to the bottom. Well, then um, I just stop or I just move over you know to like if I'm reading something where I can't stand the voice then i'll just move over to um you know and just read the book if i'm invested right it's hard to stick with a voice that's like you know grading it's true it's true i think you know for me especially growing up audio was more of a necessity than a choice because i I don't read print and so i learned very quickly you know how important it was that people who who put these books out like should should read you know at, at least like adequately. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and as audiobooks have become more of a commercial thing, I think we we have more and more professional narrators who are so good at what they do and less of like the kind of people who, you know, read my my books when I was in school mm-hmm. and, you know, sneezed and and ate their lunch and <laughs> um you know, recorded in some place that sounded like an echo chamber with a train running by outside. Yeah, no, it's really like a professional operation now. Yes, yes, I and I, I am so glad. The recordings, they, they really sound amazing. They, they do, they do. And it's like just so, so nice now to think about like people who are going to school, you know, as I did and relying on audio, like don't necessarily have to have like terrible quality anymore. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, it's amazing. I could not agree more. So now that the most likely club has been out in the world for at the time of recording, um, just a week, what can readers expect next from you? If you know, they will be getting another novel for me in about two years called the Jack Potters. And it's about uh, a family with four adult children and three of the four of them go in on a powerball ticket and they win <laughs> and naturally that's a bit of a wow. exciting slash disastrous thing and uh and it's about how it affects them all differently i always find myself wondering you know when people do that like people will put money in you know and buy like a bunch of tickets and i always wonder like if you win you know is, is everybody going to be like really happy and friendly about it or is there going to be like so much like hidden tension and and animosity beneath the surface of all that right well exactly like so gotta read the book and see what I think yes yes so I'm really excited about that I haven't started work 
working on it yet because oh. you know that part you know takes some time but um well but yes. I'm trying so I'm hoping to start like in earnest but you know with the with this you know the book just coming out you know I needed like some breathing room and I needed to have some time you know to focus on most likely and uh, and give that book its due and do interviews like this Yes. So do you try to take kind of a little bit of a break, like between the time that like you are, you know, you're doing promotions for this one and like writing a new one? Like, does that seem to work better for you to have that little bit of space? I mean, I've been coming out about every two years, which is like probably the most I could possibly imagine. I have to say, um, I would, I, really admire authors that are able to produce every year. I feel like it's way too much for me. I don't have enough mental space. I also have like three children, you know, a 14, a 14 year old, a 12 year old and a nine year old. And, you know, I'm ah, yes. like, you know, I have obligations. I know everybody does, you know, I feel like my life is really, really busy. Probably I make it busier than it needs to be because I have like a big appetite. Like I love to say yes to plans and travel, oh, and, you know, and yes. I don't, I want to appreciate the freedom that writing affords me. Like I, that writing affords me. Like I, I don't have to like go to an office and be there from nine to five every day. And I want to relish that part of my job because there's plenty of parts of being a writer that are like really, really hard, you know, and at least I feel like here's something that's like a perk of writing. You know, I can set my own schedule and it gets, of course, really busy when it comes to, you know, doing you know, promotion and events and travel. And of course, like editing and being on a timeline, it can get really, really busy. But like overall, you know, I do have flexibility and I I love that. And so for me, like this is the pace that I feel like is the most that I could possibly keep up with. Well, and I think that's the, the beauty of what, you know, so many people do is that you're able to, you know, hopefully find that like perfect spot for you where, you're able to achieve the things that you want to achieve without it being like a major, you know, crunch. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to have this out in, you know, four months. I just, I know that I couldn't handle that. And I want to feel Mm -hmm. really good about everything that I put out. And so I need a certain amount of time, but I feel like still I've put out, I've put out work pretty quickly, I have to say, you know, so I've done, I've had five, books since 2015. So like, you know, that's pretty good. I would say like, that's That's pretty good. Yes. It's more than, you know, a lot of people have, have had. I'm happy. I'm working about as fast as I can possibly work. Well, and, and that's good. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Um, before I let you dash off, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? So I'm very active on Instagram, uh, which is just at Alyssa Friedland. And I'm on Facebook. I have a website, AlyssaFriedland.com. I'm very responsive. So I always am happy if anyone, you know, reaches out to me. And um, I would love to hear from everyone. And do you describe your Instagram photos? What do you mean? Do I describe? Yes. Like for people who can't see the photo. Oh, like in the captions? What do you mean? Like in like an image description? Like, have you ever seen um, if someone like posts a picture and then underneath it, they'll say like, 
image description, you know, a picture of a gray and white cat sleeping on a couch. I mean, I always write a caption, so yes, I guess so. Cool. Um, I ask because for a lot of people, like AI is starting to try to describe text, but huh. it'll tell me something like, picture may contain outdoor, grass, sky. Huh. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not, that's not correct. <laughs> I've, just, I've just written all of my own captions. Hopefully I'm doing it properly. Th that's okay. I figure as long as people are, you know, giving like an idea of like what's in the photo, like I, I'm happy. Yes. Well, once again, this has been a discussion with author Alyssa Friedland about her latest novel, The Most Likely Club. This was released in the U.S. on September 6th. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.